All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. My wife would love to tell you, uh, seriously, just ask her, uh, what a creature of habit I am. It's not my fault, really. It's uh, the family that I come from. We are the most tradition-laden family I have ever encountered. At, at Christmas, for instance, we follow the exact same traditions every single year, from the specific weekend and place we went to cut down our tree, to how we never decorated it until Christmas Eve, to the order in which we walked down the stairs on Christmas morning. Everything in our house was incredibly regimented. I'm also the kind of person who can eat the same foods again and again. You can ask Aya if she comes home and we haven't specifically talked about what we're going to have for dinner. She's getting teriyaki chicken. That's just how it goes in our house. And what's extra funny is that she's going to think that this introduction made it into the sermon after she made fun of me for this last night. But this has actually been in the sermon since like Wednesday. This is, this is how predictable I am. So it's no surprise that I begin my sermon with the exact same prayer every week. You want me to think of something new? I'm nowhere near that creative. But this week, I did deviate just a bit. Perhaps you noticed that I ended my prayer a little differently. Usually I say we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And today I said in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's appropriate for me to add a little Trinitarian flavor to our prayer today, as it is Trinity Sunday the day on which we celebrate the great three-in-one-ness of our God. So I'd like this morning to talk a little bit about the Trinity, each member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and try to proclaim the good news through this hard-to-understand doctrine of the church. In fact, it's an old preacher's joke that it's impossible to describe the Trinity without falling into one heresy or another. So we're actually not going to spend too much time this morning trying to figure out how the Trinity works as we are announcing why the Trinity is good news for sinners. So let's begin at the beginning, literally the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Genesis 1-1, we have God the Creator, God the Father. We recently showed our kids The Truman Show, just this last week, which is a movie, if you haven't seen it, about a man who is the unwitting star of a reality show. From his birth... He's lived inside a city-sized TV studio. Everyone in his life is actually an actor, and there are cameras everywhere secretly recording his every movement. And finally, Truman discovers 
what's really going on and tries to escape from what some people in the film refer to as his prison. Now, note, of course, that this prison is really a very idyllic seaside village. And finally, during the last moments of the movie, as Truman is about to step through a doorway to freedom, the creator of the show, a man named Christoph, speaks to him over a loudspeaker. To Truman, this is literally a voice from the heavens. Who are you? Truman says. I am the creator, replies Christoph, of a television show. And Ed Harris, the actor playing the role, does insert just the tiniest extra pause there after the word creator. This is the movie really trying to drive home the point. This is Truman's God. I am the creator of a television show. Then who am I? Asks Truman. You're the star, comes the response. And in the course of their conversation, Christoph tells Truman how he watched the moment he was born. How he watched as Truman took his first steps. He says, I know you better than you know yourself. As the audience, we're supposed to be horrified. Where is Truman's autonomy? Here is Christoph claiming that Truman only exists in relation to his creator. Who am I? You're the star of what I created. Truman has no freedom. He is in prison. He must escape. And as Truman is just about to step out the door, Christoph begs him to stop. In my world, he promises, you have nothing to fear. And then Truman, independent human that he is, tips his cap, takes a bow, and walks out into freedom. And of course, everyone cheers. Everybody watching the Truman Show in the world of the movie, but even those of us watching the movie too, we all cheer because Truman is free. And we love it. It is the greatest indignity in the world to be told that you are a creature of some other creator. We rebel against this idea. The Truman Show is unknowingly, I think, almost an exact retelling of Genesis and the Garden of Eden. Because this is God the Father. His claim on us is absolute. He created the world and everything in it. We see this in our reading from Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. If there is something here, God created it. God said, let there be light. And there was light. He created us in the same way with a word. He created you and me. He tells us how to live and he's watching Just like Christoph up in the sky, he sees our every step. He tells us how we ought to live. And as we'll see in a minute, that's by no means all the father is. But this is how we often conceive of him. The great Santa Claus in the sky, judging who's been naughty or nice. But this is, of course, because we've believed the serpent's lie. That God doesn't have our best intentions. At heart, we don't believe him when he says that in his world 
We have nothing to fear. So we rebel. We do exactly what Truman does. We try to escape. We strike out on our own, assert our independence, live our own way. Of course, in the biblical story, this is sin. And the wages of sin, says St. Paul, the result of this kind of independent living is death. Outside of the Eden God created for us, death reigns. So if God the Father, who we might call God above us, if God the Father is up there by himself and we've run out the door, then we're dead. Literally. But God the Father is not by himself. That same Apostle Paul shows us the solution for our rebellion, the solution for our wages of sin is death problem as he opens the second chapter to his letter to the Ephesians. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. He's saying, you Trumans, as you stepped out that door, are dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And here is God the Son. When God the Father, God the Creator and Lawgiver finds us running away from Him and asserting our human independence, He doesn't throw lightning bolts. When God above us finds us rebelling, He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. When God above us finds us dying, He sends God for us. You see, St. Paul continues in Romans 5, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, but God, demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Both of those sections of Scripture, Ephesians 2 and Romans 5, contain those most precious words in the Bible, but God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God was rich in mercy. We were ungodly and unrighteous, defiant of the lawgiver, defiant of the creator, but God demonstrated his love by sending his son for us. If the holiness of and our rebellion against God above us signals our death, then the grace and mercy of God for us announces our resurrection. I have a friend who says the lawgiver sent the law keeper 
to die for us, the law breakers. God above us, the Father, sent God for us, Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to make everything okay again, to reconcile us. And we are reconciled to our Creator, raised to a new life of peace, a life without fear. And everything would be okay, except for one little problem. It's almost impossible for us to believe a word of it. In Jesus' great commissioning of his disciples that we read in Matthew 28, Jesus tells them that he will be with them always, and then immediately leaves. But he keeps this promise as part of the Trinitarian God by sending God the Holy Spirit. God above us sent God for us to rescue us from our sin. And God for us promised that God would be with us forever. This is God, the Holy Spirit. God with us. We talked last week about how the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that this incredible promise is actually true. That God is with you even to the end of the age. And remember, God the Holy Spirit is here because God the Son, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. God with us is proof that the tomb was empty, that Jesus really did accomplish what he set out to do. The redemption of a sinner like you, like me. Just like in the Truman Show, we try to escape from God because we have convinced ourselves that he is restricting our freedoms. We easily forget that it is only in him that we can have peace. Only by his own grace that we can live a life in accordance with his holiness. Only in him that we can be free from fear. In sin, we run away from the very God who is our safety. But that God is not one. He is three and one. He created us and he redeems us and he is with us. He is all of this. To adapt the great Barry White And I would give almost anything to be able to do this in his voice. God is our first, our last, our everything. This is our Trinitarian God. God the Father above you. God the Son for you. God the Holy Spirit with you. Our God, one and three, made you, redeemed you, and sustains you. He is your first, your last, your everything. In my world, he promises, you have nothing to fear. And that, in light of the saving grace of God for you and the enduring care of God with you, that is good news indeed. Amen.